Tess Woodcraft, and this short podcast will hopefully give you a flavour of the newly launched Rational Parliament. The Rational Parliament's procedures dictate that every session must have in attendance at least two individuals who have conducted publicly funded academic research on the topic, and the first session on genetically modified foods was therefore opened by two academics. On one side, Professor John Lucas from the Rothamsted Agricultural Research Institution, and on the other, Professor Andrew Sterling from the Science and Policy Research Unit at the University of Sussex. Professor Lucas was the first to speak. So, I work at Rothamsted, which is a government-sponsored research institute, and we do work in support of arable agriculture, evaluating all available technologies on their merits. My own field of research is crop protection. I'm interested in pests and diseases and how we can prevent them from causing losses. Now, I'm not representing Rothamsted at this. The uh, views that are going to be expressed are my own, and uh, I hope they'll be treated as such. The, um, the other thing that I'm not going to do is try to explain the challenges facing agriculture in the 21st century. I think everybody sitting in this room will know that. They'll know that we have major challenges in terms of feeding the pop- world population. We have challenges of climate change, diminishing resources, water, nutrients, land, etc. So I'm taking that as red. What we're really discussing is what can we bring to meet those challenges. And I'm going to make just a few very basic points. The first one is we've been changing the plants and animals that we farm for thousands of years. For most of that period of time, it was a question of selecting superior types. Since the laws of heredity were discovered about 100 years ago, we've been doing it in a more targeted way. Some of that has involved doing hybridizations and crosses that would not occur in nature. We've been using tissue culture, mutation breeding, embryo rescue, lots of kinds of technologies to create improved plants and animals over a long period of time. And speaking personally, I see GM, which is based on the precision to move individual genes from one uh, host plant to another, um, as in a way just an extension of something that we've been doing for a long time. The second point is just statistics. We've been growing GM crops now for almost 20 years, and in 2012 there was 170 million hectares grown worldwide in 28 different countries. The people who grow these crops are farmers. Farmers are business people. They would not be growing those crops if it cost them more money, or if it damaged their farm, or if it threatened their community. They're growing them because they're actually better than the crops they had before. The third point, the negative impacts of agriculture that we all perceive are due to the way we grow the crops, not the type of crop we grow. So all the issues of diminished biodiversity, soil degradation, the threats to uh, sustainable agriculture, are nothing to do with GM, they're to do with the fact that we farm intensively. We farm intensively because maybe we need to, and we may need to farm more intensively to meet the demands of a growing world population. So there are lots of issues about sustainable agriculture, but they're not exclusive to GM. Now, there are legitimate concerns about GM. 
I share some of these, gene ownership, big corporations controlling seed stops, etc. There are safety issues, risk assessments that have to be done. There has to be a tight regulatory framework. But in actual fact, this isn't really too different to other kinds of crops we grow. Many crops we grow nowadays are hybrids. They're grown because they yield better. Hybrids are owned by big seed companies. They're not necessarily GM. So the issues of ownership don't just concern GM. And finally, there's no such thing to me as a technology that is 100% safe. And some of the discussions that we have about GM are asking people to prove that it's 100% safe. If you had to prove that something is 100% safe, most of what we do, we wouldn't do. Let's take tinned food as an example. I'm taking a food example. If you improperly prepare tinned food, you can kill people. In fact, every year people die of botulism due to poor pickling technology or bad tinning technology. It's still out there, there are still cases appearing. But we all eat tinned food. We don't expect everything to be 100% safe all of the time. That's not an argument for deregulating GM, but it is an argument, I would say, for using the technologies that we have at our disposal in a sensible way. And my point tonight is not to say I'm pro-GM or anti-GM, it's purely to say why should we be depriving ourselves of some of the tools available to us in the fight against world hunger because of um, applying um, criteria to that technology and do not apply to others. That's my point and thank you Mr Speaker. Okay, thank you John. Professor Andrew Sterling then spoke. My name is uh, Andy Sterling, um, as you can see from the beige jacket and poorly coordinated shirt, I'm an academic. Uh, I work at a place called SPRU, that stands for Science Policy Research Unit down at Sussex University, and I've been there a horrible amount of time, 25 years now, working on the politics of technology, um, things, issues to do with uncertainty and power in innovation systems. And GM is one of the issues I've worked on as part of that work. Um, like John, I'm not here to put some sort of partisan case on one side or the other. But like, the main issues I want to raise for discussion today, and I'll come to it in a minute, but I think there's a problem with the current motion as it stands, is that the debate tends to ignore two crucial things. The importance of scepticism and the importance of choice. Now John just made a really nice uh, measured opening uh, introduction, but I would just for the sake of debate highlight that it was still about GM with the other things that we might do, which you did mention, John, other technologies available, left in the sidelines. As if it's, and, and this is not so much a debate here, but when we debate these things in society and the media generally, it's GM or nothing. Feed the world with GM or, or nothing. When in fact, GM is not one thing. There are some radically different political economies of different kinds of ways of introducing genes. There's cisgenics, transgenics, we can go into the details, other people here know them better than me. But beyond GM, there are all sorts of advanced bioscience approaches available which do not involve inserting genes, sometimes from other species. And then beyond that, there are a whole series of innovation systems to do with letting farmers, who John rightly mentioned is crucial, be really participating in the process of seed production, because in agriculture, Diversity is crucial. 
And it is not a one-size-fits-all situation. And the real productivity gains that can be made, as well as the real benefits for farmers, come from seed development systems that actually involve farmers in the process of, of selecting seeds and engaging with researchers to say what works and what doesn't. And GM is not alone in this, but it is really not suitable for that kind of use. Now, uh, John mentioned that uh, farmers wouldn't be picking up, picking this technology up if they didn't like it, they're business people. To an extent, that's true. But it's really crucial, we may hear more about this from people in the room, that actually we have an incredible oligopoly in the seed market around the world. Three companies <coughs> control 70% of the seed market. Three GM companies. And they are interested, and one cannot blame them, they're responsible to shareholders for making money on intellectual property. And so it is no surprise that techniques like marker-assisted selection or participatory breeding of the kind I mentioned are completely like Cinderella, not invited to the party, despite the fact that I would contend they offer, insofar as evidence can tell us, it can't compel this conclusion, but it certainly does give a good a priori case, that these techniques offer better ways of advancing productivity. But they are not promoted because they do not offer ways for big corporations to make an awful lot of money which they have a right to do, but which you might expect regulation and governance to actually contend with. So my point is, we shouldn't be debating as if it's GM or nothing. We should be debating in a rational way, as the motion suggests, but we should be saying something like, this house agrees that GM food is the most rational approach. Because then we have to explicitly consider the other approaches which are there and which hardly ever get discussed. And in doing that, my final point is, I, I've um, had a reputation for being sceptical about GM. I've been on advisory committees, government advisory committees. I've worked with GM companies as well. And I am very sceptical, as may come out in the debate, about GM. Scepticism is not something to be ashamed of, as if it's irrational. Scepticism is actually the founding quality of science itself. It is why science is so phenomenally successful. Because it allows sceptical spaces. And what's really worrying for me about debates about GM is not so much the content of the technology, which I do think presents uncertainties. It's what it does to debate. It's what it does to democracy. It forces us into this polarised attitude, either this or nothing. Do you want to feed the world or not? This is the only choice, and that for me is the most corrosive thing. That's why I think we should vote against uh, uh, GM tonight in, in, in whatever motion happens. And the motion, I think, should be somewhat changed from the one we have. Thanks for listening to me. Thank you.